I'm Cameron Strang, and welcome to Unedited. My guest today is author Tyler Reagan, who you may also know as the head of Christian leadership organization Catalyst. Now, uh, before I tell you about today's conversation, I want to mention a little behind-the-scenes note about last week's episode. It was a conversation with Josh Tillman, otherwise known as indie artist Father John Misty. I recorded that conversation about a year and a half ago as part of the relevant cover story we did on him. At the time, we didn't have plans for even doing this podcast. In fact, how captivating that full conversation was is actually what prompted the relevant team to push me to do this show. We thought, man, if we could bring these full conversations to our audience, it reveals so much more than an article or soundbite ever could. It really was the catalyst for launching Unedited. Unfortunately, because airing the full conversation was never really in our plans when we did that interview, Josh went places that he probably wouldn't have had he known it all be heard. So fast forward 18 months and we release the conversation. It's stuff that he hadn't thought about or said in a very long time. And all of a sudden the public is reacting to it. He freaked out. Josh's label uh, emailed around 11.30 at night, the day we released it, and asked us if we'd pull the episode out of respect for Josh. He was in a very different place 18 months ago and regretted probably some of what the conversation brought up. And while, yes, it was all on the record, we're not in the business of trying to out people or play gotcha journalism. I want this platform to be a vehicle for guests to open up and share their stories and hearts without any sort of fear that it'll be misconstrued. So if Josh doesn't want a late 2017 conversation released in 2019 as though it's his current thoughts, I'll respect that. So we pulled the show. Some of you downloaded it already and heard it before we yanked it. You now have a collector's item. Don't worry, what happened last week won't happen again. All the conversations we're bringing you on edited from this point forward will be fresh, current, new interviews. And the person will absolutely know the entire thing is going to be heard. Which brings me to this week's guest, Tyler Reagan. Tyler's in an interesting season. A few years ago, when he took over Catalyst, he inherited an organization built around filling arenas with pastors. A big arena conference is a model that is shrinking. There are so many other ways to get content and resources these days. Spending hundreds of dollars to go to an event is an increasingly hard ask. So... For the last couple of years, Tyler's undertaken the very difficult tasks of assessing and reshaping the culture at Catalyst while also tearing down the business model, dreaming them both up all over again from the ground up and then pursuing those plans while keeping the current model moving. He's taken the organization from being owned by investors trying to maximize profits to Catalyst being a standalone nonprofit organization with a mission and heart more focused on ministry than profitability. If you've ever had to lead a huge pivot in a business, you know how hard that is. But even in relationships, our, ourselves or other major life transitions, fundamentally changing things, making them healthy and thriving in a very new way is hard and scary. And we talk about that in the conversation you're about to hear. Tyler also has a new book out called The Life-Giving Leader that shares his unique heart for leaders and his own leadership style. And even though he's a Georgia Bulldog, I like Tyler a lot. 
And after hearing this conversation, I think you will too. Here's my conversation with Tyler Reagan, unedited. How's the the book going? I have no idea. Ken. Really? I, I, you know, I, for me, it's a leadership book. So it's not a book that as soon as it comes out, everybody's wrestling. Like, everybody looks at Amazon and goes, oh, I need that book. Mm-hmm. It's one of those ones that you hope somebody reads and they go, man, I want to take my team through this. and and Or I want to, you know, get some for the staff. So it went great the first few weeks. So I, I don't know. I don't know how you know. Like, it just kind of, my, my agents have told me, don't get on Amazon Author Central and just keep watching because that's just not, it's just, it's, it's not healthy. No, it's not healthy. So, and, and honestly, for me, it's, uh, it's, it's a new process. And I, I just, do you like I writing books? Or do you, is that- I prayed that I would because I made a 420 in the SAT in English. So it's not like this was my career path. Right. And uh, I just, as I started the project two years ago, I was like, you know what? I'm like, Lord, I, I just want to enjoy this. And I did. I actually enjoyed it a lot, so much so that I'm about to start on project number two. So I, I really actually, every draft I've ever done in my entire life, the first draft was the last draft. Now, you're in the writing. You know, you, you write for a living. You edit for a living. So you, that, like, but for me, that was it. When I turn into paper at seminary, when I turn into, here it is. It's done. Complete. Turn it in. So I knew one of the things I was most excited about was having a team of editors and a team that would help make it better. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what happened. It got better. So you weren't possessive over it. You were thankful for the... <laughs> no, and I, I think you've known me long enough. Like, I just, I don't, I don't operate that way in general. Yeah. So I definitely didn't over that because to me, I felt like they were trying to help make it better. But I was protective of it. I was, you know what? The, the thing I was the most protected over was the cover. Really? Be- yeah. Because... Why? It, because they... I mean, if, if I were to throw out 10 leadership books right here on the coffee table, what would they look like? Uh, big, bold titles. Exactly. With, you know, One color, colors. maybe two yeah. color, and font. Yeah. That's it. And some sort of like coined phrase. Right. The so-and-so effect. Sure. Or so-and-so leadership. <laughs> or, you know, yeah. So for me, I just didn't want that. And Catalyst has always been known for 19 years as a little bit, you know, want to be early at night. We're not necessarily the most innovative, but I would say we're early adopters on a lot of stuff, and, and we reach a younger generation. So I wanted it to feel that way. I wanted to have a little bit. And then me personally, I love the outdoors. I love in this this title of life giving leader. Life giving has the uh, the metaphor that runs throughout the book is is a oh no, is a river, and so I wanted something. So anyway, so we I told the publisher I said let us design six. My team, we had never designed a cover before. Corinne had never done any of that, and I was like let's just try it, and. So we put six in front of them and, you know, both my agent and all of them were like, eh, I was like, well, they were like, you know, you need more. I was like, nobody's ever told us best practices. I didn't realize that if you put it on a coffee table, it needs to be able to be read from 20 miles, 20 mile, 20 yards or 20 feet away. So you can read the cover mm-hmm. title. Yeah. But it also has to be to the table at, at yeah. Barnes and Noble, but it also it. has to be good enough that on a thumbnail on Amazon, you can read and yep. make out what the cover is. Well, we, we don't know that, but now we do. Where does the forward go? Should it go on the top? Should it go on the bottom? Like those kind of things. So we played with those. We turned in six. They didn't love them. They're like, can we design six? And I was like, sure. And they were exactly what we described a few minutes ago. Like big font, whatever. Why six? Isn't that the devil's number? So, well, we only did six and six. We didn't do six and six and My six. My breakfast this morning at Chick-fil-A, <laughs> if you get the number three with Florida State tax, 
The total is six sixty six, really? and I'm really they bothered by that. that. At Chick Fil A, at Chick Fil A, they should fix that. It's just the number three, no add ons. So they ended up coming back with six, and I was like, eh. like I kept fighting for this one, and we, I knew it wasn't perfect yet, but I liked it. I liked the look of it. And it was going to match more of like we redid my website and all these other things. It was more of an outdoor river like kind of thing. And so um, they were like, I think this was their last ditch effort. And they were like, okay, let's do this. Let's do a crowd survey and see. And so they picked their two favorites of theirs. We put ours sandwiched in between it. After we had done some work learning some of these best practices and made it better. And um, and then sure enough, uh, it wasn't even close. Like the audience picked ours so whose idea was it to send the box with the book uh, out to, you know, I guess some of the people you're connected with to say, hey, here's my book. Here's an early edition. You know, whose idea was it to fill the box with moss? With moss which I, it, which I got all over my kitchen look. floor. <laughs> okay. That's, uh, that was a team effort. Uh-huh. We wanted something in there that represented life like mm-hmm. greenery you know and, that kind and, of thing and that gut that gets everywhere it did you know most people and, like it's better than if Andy down sent you a box because it have confetti yeah or sequins <laughs> so for me it was that you open the box lid it just explodes with confetti it's all over just your house. A, yeah, yeah so it, you know um a lot of people said the same thing but I, here's the thing about those boxes we get them all the time sure. you get them i get them my thing was i knew a couple of things one i don't want to send something where everybody goes that was a waste of money you know, you open it, you're like, God, you spent how much on that water bottle or this, that, and the other. The only way those really are effective, in my opinion, is, is you open a box full of moss and dirt. You really? Don't, I, didn't think ha- so? I didn't have you didn't the thought, that. wow, he spent a lot of money on this. <laughs> <Shut> <laughs> but you did think, well, I get it. You know, yeah. my other thing is, is it works if you open it up and you want to show other people. Yeah. That's to me when that, that's a win. Or if there's something in there, we put that little, um, wooden card that says when life flows influence grows that feels like something you could put somewhere or use i'm not saying you, ha- you know you do but anyway so we just kind of wrestled with what are a few things we could do a couple you know a bracelet and those kind of things but the moss when you have a designer helping you think through that her idea was the moss and so like, you have a newly redesigned tyler reagan website correct. you have a brand new author writing career are you trying to become famous <laughs> Well, I mean, then why do all this? Uh, because, man, it took me four years to get into a place of of, want, of being okay writing. Right. Um, the number one thing for me, Cameron, and you you and I have become friends, so you would know. I, I think you would know this. If not, we need to have a conversation <laughs> in the game tonight so that you can be honest with me. But I never came to Catalyst for that reason. Yeah, I know. And I that's, can, that's mean, why it took me a long time to write a book. I never wanted anybody to think I was there because of that. Right. Over the first four years of leading it, it was between my my wife and then a lot of close friends and then my team going, hey, you've been teaching this stuff for years. You've been, it's time to write it. The thing that took me over the hurdle was a friend of mine and uh, who he looked at me. He said, why haven't you written something? I said, well, I've been thinking about it. He said, if for any other reason, I think you would understand this too, do it for your two boys. Like write everything you believe about this subject for your two boys to have. Now, the publisher obviously wants me to sell more than two books. But for me, that was the final kind of, okay, I can do that. Hmm. And it was a, it was another realization of, and I talk in the book about having confidence in our calling, like actually being confident that God's called us to do what we're doing. I had to get over that hurdle and finally start going, if I'm going to lead a leadership organization, 
creating content should be a part of that equation. Um, but it's not why. Like I do it because I want to help leaders and I, and I feel like it's helpful. I, what's been encouraging is I've had a lot of people message me through my website or, or social media asking if there's a study guide because they really do want to take their teams through it, which has been really encouraging to me. So now I have to create a study guide. <laughs> I didn't know you before Catalyst. What? Where did you come from? Uh, North Point. I worked I, with Andy I, for over like, a decade. What did you do there? Service programming. So what does that mean? Uh, production, music, guest services, basically the Sunday experience for adults. That's what we were in charge of. So how did you go from there to running Catalyst? Um, so I had been producing Catalyst for three years as a contractor. So when I was still with the church, it was Brownsbridge. I'd started two churches with North Point campuses. Um, and so while I was there, I also would produce Drive, which is North Point's big church leadership conference. And I produced, I think I produced the first five Drive conferences. Were you on stage, though? Mm-mm. So you were the guy behind the guy, I was the guy the behind the scenes. I was on the headset making it happen. Now, before I came to the church, I used to teach all the time. I was a worship leader um, in small churches and while well, I was in seminary and those kind of things. So, but I always had this, my, my, my degree from the University of Georgia is um, technology education. So really my background was more production. Um, okay, then let's go there. You're going technology uh, and production. Right. How did you start speaking early in your career? I've always been pretty comfortable on stage, whether it's like I was going to, yeah, I mean, but there's a lot of people getting production tech degrees who wouldn't go, Hey, you know, I'm going to do the sermon at my, church. yeah, it was just, it was just a, that's, that was a uniqueness of mine. I love teaching huh. and that's why I was going to get an education degree. Cause I love to, te- I love being in front of people and moving them from A to B. That's, that's what I love doing, inspiring them, whatever that looks like. And so, um, I did it a ton in seminary. I spoke all the, I spoke all the time. And then when I came to North point, because it's such a big church, you really specialize in a space. And so I did, I preached one Sunday at Brownsbridge and the process about killed me because <laughs> I'd never gone through that kind of process of content development. With, I, I know nothing about it. What is well, the process? Well, but just un, under the, under the tutelage of Andy Stanley. I mean, that's, that's not intimidating. At all, no, when you're, when you're on the stage with him, uh, or on his, you know, on a stage at one of his yeah. campuses, like, um, it, it really, it, it wasn't his fault. I just got uncomfortable because it wasn't the way that I prepared or delivered. Like for me to have the plasma there, no notes, those kind of things. Uh, even in seminary, I is that the rule? No, it's notes? not the rule. Well, that is the rule if you're preaching on Sunday. Yeah, you got to be I don't no know notes. Oh, well. Yeah, you just have to know. I know it, nothing about pastoring or preaching, so I I would have thought notes were part of it. But no, not it, there. it's a preparation thing. That, wow. Yeah, it's it, it's it's pretty. And what what they've really systematized now and figured out is how to use the plasma as your notes, and be able to have they have a screen in the back so you can see what's coming next on the plasma. So in other words, yeah. Andy's whole theory of communication is you study, you prepare, so that you can just stand up and. You communicate everything about that part of the sermon, just verbatim and natural, and then move on to the next piece. Like, you know what I mean? It's a, it's a comfortable thing. It wasn't comfortable for me, and it took so much out of my job to just take the time to do that. And so I think it actually put a little bit of insecurity in me that I had never had before when it came to being on stage and, and teaching. How, okay, so, so he, this, he would prepare for a sermon how many hours in a week would you guess? Andy? Yeah. Oh, man. Because he's been doing thousands of them. So I honestly don't know how much in a week. I mean, people would say how far in advance. I mean, we would work six months out on what's the series in six months. Right. And then he would start building it. He was usually fully done with series 
seven weeks out. Oh, okay. And so I don't like, know, he, would write a, know. he would write a sermon or prepare a sermon in how long? A day? No, it, it takes longer than that. But his, I mean, his study. But so, but he would sit down, shut the door, and and yeah, write for it sure. for multiple days or for sure. I can imagine, like I've I've been asked to speak from time to time, and I've always said no, but not because like I'm afraid of a mic or that I couldn't deliver yeah. content, but I don't have the time it would take to, <laughs> to prepare. prepare the thing yeah. that would be worth that platform, yeah. and still keep all the plates spinning. Yep. You know, so I yep. just go pick what's my priority. Yep. And frankly, thank you for the invitation to your 3,000 person event. Right. But I would rather work with my team and reach a couple million people right, these right, days. Right, right. You know? And yeah. so it's like, oh, well, yeah. you only yeah. have one life. You only have one, you can only spend a minute one way. You know? Sure. It's like, when I even developed a coaching business on the side of coaching leaders, I'd go into organizations and do leadership training for teams and work on, you know, what is their self awareness as a team? What does that look like? And so I, I love being in front of people and speaking when it comes to leadership and those those sorts of things. So, so you were doing that and then doing the production. So you got asked to speak that. I would just time, do it. Or, yeah, no, not at Catalyst. I didn't speak for no, not Catalyst. I'm no, back, back in the church. North Point, yeah, yeah, because I'd come from seminary. I mean, even in seminary, I had one of the most uh, kind of well-known seminary preaching professors. And when I went, who's that? Uh, Doctor Haddon Robinson. So oh he's, yeah, he's famous. Yeah, his, I know yeah, you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but his textbooks used at most of the kind of gotcha. DTS, Denver, Fuller, those places. But he was our professor, and so they would make you do these like five minute mini sermons, and then the whole class would just kind of judge it and talk about it. It was brutal. And about six people went before me, and and the first six, he would finish, and he just he was known for not like beating around the bush. He's from New York, just kind of, he would just shoot people straight. And the first six people he'd said to him, he's like, Hey, your, your content's fantastic, but you got to work on your delivery. And here's some thoughts on your delivery. So then, then I went and he goes, wow. He said, your delivery is fantastic. Content's not any good, but your delivery is fantastic. But he looked at me, he said, you know, but you can learn content. And his point was there's a nat- there are people that are natural when it comes to, um, speaking and in terms of on stage they're comfortable what i've always had to work on to camera was the content side of things what do i have to say what what am i trying to say and where am i trying to move people and so that's always been a a work in progress and then my 10 years at north point really kind of paused i I would speak here and there i would do different things but it just wasn't a focus and it's still not honestly a focus it's just becoming more part of of did you what you focus on the tech behind the scenes production side because it was easy for you and it didn't stretch you and push you out in that deep end where no, you're not as it. confident? I think just because I loved it. Okay. And I was good at it. Yeah. I think one of the, uh, I write this in the book, but at one of the places I left, the pastor looked at me or the leader looked at me and he said, if you're not successful in your next venture, um, it's probably just your personality. Don't blame the, don't blame the organization. <laughs> yeah. That's straight, straight up what he said. And, um, but, what? Yeah. Why would he say that to you? Because he, we were wired so differently that he saw my unstructured wiring as just not a good leadership quality. And what's funny is uh, the assessment I love to use is called right path. And what it talks about is structured versus unstructured in, in this kind of attribute thing. Well, the structured side is precise, organized and achieving. So cross the T's, dot the I's, you love, you know where things go order. The other side, though, where I'm really high, which I am not high in precise organizing and achieving, is generalist, improviser, and instinct. Well, the very things that drove him crazy about me and created a chemistry issue between the two of us are the very things that made me a good producer of events. Hmm. 
I don't, I don't get rattled at events. Yeah. Like people are always like at, at our events are like, y'all seem so calm because I'm alive. Like this is like one of my favorite, like when something, I, when something goes wrong, it doesn't rattle me. It just sends me into a different place and allows me to do that. So what's been neat is over the last 12, 13 years to be able to take that moment, which was a really hard moment in the time, but has become foundational for the way I try to lead. And I try to call that uniqueness out in the people that I lead, which is going, you, you know, because that was a uniqueness of mine that was in a sense being said, it's not good and you're not going to be a leader. And it became the thing that actually put me in the position that I'm in now, which was I produced events and I was good at it. So, so Catalyst had a change in ownership or a few times over the last <laughs> yeah, 15 years and then leadership. And then you were asked to join and, and lead the organization and you stepped into an, basically an old business model. Yeah. And you've been there four years now. No. Five. Uh, six. No. Yes. That's not true. I came over for 2012? a year. 2012? Yeah. I came over for years as the creative director and to also develop the staff culture, a healthy staff culture. I remember that year. Yeah. And then a year later is when Didn't I Didn't you fire so, everyone? <laughs> no. <laughs> the year later, maybe, because that's when I took it for Brad. Right. So I was there a year. And then so I've been leading it for five years now, which is hard to believe. And how have things changed? <laughs> oh, man. I, I I'll, I'll say this. One of the main things that, I come, like, even when I took the job at North Point, I remember telling Julie Arnold, who was hiring me, I said, Julie, I'll be a service programming director, is what we call that role. I said, but I'm a pastor first. If that's okay, then this will work for me. In other words, I'll do this specialized area, but I'm going to do it in a pastoral way. That's, that's the only way I know, you know. Is, what, what does that mean? To me, what that means is it's relationship over results necessary. Now, I'm not saying it's this drastic difference, but I want to figure out what's my highest metric, which for me is I don't want to walk past the people that we exist to serve while I'm doing a project. Are you talking about the congregation or your It's staff? ministry, yeah. I mean, it's, it, the church is the people. Like That's yeah. the whole point. And if I'm so busy with the doing the work of the church, I'm going to miss pastoring and loving on the people. To me, that's just an important piece of this. And it's the same way I try to lead my team and that sort of thing. And what I think is your results actually get way better when you're able to love on and care for the people around you and that you entrust or that are entrusted to you and you steward them well. So um, I remember, though, I came for a few years and I was producing the event for a few years. And really, in a lot of the heyday of Catalyst was huge. And it was all over the country and, and really um, exploding. I would say I was coming right on the edge of that curve. Uh, when it had on the downswing on the downswing a little bit and one of the things um, I remember was there was a lot of conversation around the wow moments which were really the the, the stupid stunts the, the carnival acts yeah the and they world's were, largest pillow fight yeah they, I mean that, that was what Catalyst built you know but Catalyst also was built out of the attractional model of the church Willow Creek North Point you know like they were they, when Catalyst started 19 years ago North Point was two years old and that's when the attractional model had just really gotten root in the evangelical church and it started exploding. In other words, when you say the attractional model, you're talking about like the seeker friendly thing? Seeker friendly, but ex- let's create an experience so the unchurch wants to be here. Then we can, yeah, so seeker friendly. So more of a focus on attractional, you know, production value. And, for sure. And, and then the way North Point's dinner. always said it is a, a church for un- that unchurched people like to attend. That's the way they've always tried to describe it. Gotcha. It's not a surprise that 
catalyst came right because Andy's obviously been a part of it from day one. Right. It came right along with that same model. And Interesting. That, and so the the experience piece of catalyst was not a surprise. And all, but 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 if you add it on top of the fact that it was always built for next generation leaders, so that 20, yeah. 25 to thirty five year old. Okay. So let's talk about that. <laughs> I we were there for a number of years, and right. this is not. I mean, we are very good friends with previous leaders of Catalyst. Correct. Okay. Still. So yeah, I still. I know. Me too. And, and and so this is not an indictment of anybody who was on that team, right? Led that team on that stage. Nothing. Right. It it felt to me over the years like I would say unfocused would be a word, right? They would say, we're doing this. We're reaching this group. Yeah, yeah. And then I'm kind of lo- looking around going. And that's not who's there. Not really. Yeah. And and like, why do we keep saying something that we can all see isn't true? Yeah. And then like. And where's the intentionality around it? And then we're doing pillow fights. Right. And then you're having really high impact, you know, spiritual content. And then you're having stupid stunts and carnal. And yeah. like, and then you have like non-believers on say, like, who's this for? Totally. And it felt like unfocused to yeah. me. And all of the individual experiences, except maybe some of the stupid stunts, were like individually good. But yeah, when the it kind of came together, the right? It was kind of like, what is this, and, and it, who's it for? Yeah, you know. So, and I'm a journey guy. That's where I came. I mean, I come from creating a, right. a journey. And right. so, one of the things I remember telling Brad when I just came on staff, or even when I was contracting, I was like. It feels all over the place, right. a little schizophrenic in the programming. And what I found out was one of the ways that we, uh, one intentional, well, there were two major things that happened for me. Number one was we, we went, we kind of flipped the script a little bit from the day, first day I took over was when it came to programming our events, number one, Lord, what do you want us to talk about? What are you calling us in a sense to, what's the felt need? What's the thing that you want us to address? Before we booked a speaker, before we knew what was going on. Is that on, the tagline, like belong or the whatever? Thing, yeah, the no, theme the, the, the theme this year is fully yeah, alive. Right. What, what is it you, we feel like the Lord was wanting us to talk about? Then who are the best voices for that conversation? To speak into that. Correct. Because what I realized when I first inherited Catalyst was I, I got lots of emails on a consistent basis from people that everybody knows, people that you know are in the public eye. Saying, "Hey, I've got a book coming out this fall. Right. I've got this, that, and the other." And that's how it used to get booked. And yeah, then it was, you, would, it was known. I mean, it was literally known that like the people on the stage, it's just that publisher paid the most. Yeah, and that wasn't the case necessarily. That, that was not how it was booked. But what it meant was, um, now there was a year where there was a publisher that paid to kind of create a theme, and that was a complete disaster. And that's another story. But that's not authors aren't getting booked because publishers spent money. Hmm. That it was, it was based on just, hey, well, they're going to draw. You know, what's the sizzle that comes with that? The problem was then we would bring the theme on the backside mm-hmm. and go, how can we create something that covers the multitude of these people? I just flipped that, and I was going, no, no, no. We have to be so intentional with the conversation over two days that nobody's questioning where it's coming from, and none of these speakers are going to come out of left field. That was a big thing for me. The second one was more of that pa- where I was going with the pastoral piece. I remember sitting in the arena the first five years ago, you know, a few weeks ago. And um, because I believe this, Cameron, like there's when you hire people here at Relevant, you're going to have a DNA fit. That's what you're looking for. And if somebody's DNA doesn't fit that, it doesn't make them wrong. It doesn't make you wrong. It just means it's not a good fit. No, they're wrong. <laughs> it makes them wrong, <laughs> but not you. For me, I sat in the arena 
the first year I'd taken over. Brad was still leading at that time. We were transitioning then. And I remember sitting in the room. You got to be careful when you say that you were transitioning that year. (laughs) To leadership. Oh, okay. And I remember thinking, Lord, and this was, I just felt like it was a very clear conversation I had in prayer with the Lord. If you want me to steward a movement, steward this thing. um, And I really see it as that way. It's not an ownership thing. It is, I'm going to steward this platform for as long as God calls me to do it. And then I'm going to hand it off, hopefully better than I found it. Um. If, if you want me to steward the carnival experience heavy catalyst, I don't think I can do that. I don't think I'm the right guy for that. I like fun. Trust me. Like, I want that ingrained in the journey. We'll see you tonight. <laughs> That's fair. I might even have to get a magic shirt. I was, I was trying to debate Oh, that. we'll do that. Because you see, the magic in the Hawks, we don't, there's no ride there's no right there. Really. No, you're not being unfaithful. None of us it's are not good. Like, <laughs> it's not like you're flying American Airlines no. instead of Delta. Oof, you're, that you're would good. be tough. Yeah, yeah, you're good. But I do remember sitting there, Cameron, and I think this is probably what you and I have talked about multiple times, but I remember sitting there going, Lord, but if you want me to steward a movement of spiritual leaders so that they learn something to be better on Monday and they meet with their Heavenly Father, I can do that. Because I feel like that's the two things they need more than anything. The experience is fun, and the experience can draw. But if the experience has no base of content or you know, spiritual moments or connection with their Heavenly Father, I, I just feel like it's all for naught. My heartbeat is they— Because if it's just a leadership resource that the attendees are investing in, there's actually— more cost-effective no reader yeah, sources. Yeah, totally, 100%. And so the, the, what's unique about coming right. should be an encounter. You can't, because you can't replicate you can't that. You can't replicate online. that. You just can't. You can't People ask me all encounter. the time, they're like, yeah. are the big events going away? And I'm like, I don't think so, because you can't replicate a gathering right. online. You just can't. Tell and, Judah Smith that. Well, he's doing that with his church, isn't I know. he? Yeah. I know. It's yeah. pretty bad. Hey, but that, let's see. Like, that's what's fun about it. Yeah. Let's see. But for us... I want them in the room together. I, I want to. I want to experience this together. And we're not trying to do something every Sunday. You know, we're a couple of times a year. But for me, these leaders are leading 363 days a year. This is the two days a year they're not in charge. Our job is to just take them on a journey. Hopefully, learn something that makes them steward their leadership better, or you know, their influence better, and uh, and it really makes them reconnect with the one who called them to do what they're doing anyway. Because I think we all get so busy that we miss that. So I had that conversation with God five years ago. And I just felt like, and, and actually that's what I'm kind of, that's what the next book is going to be about is how do you, it's called inheriting influence, how to lead people, places, and possibilities you didn't start. Cause there's so many people that inherit something, a team, a job description, a label or whatever. How do you do that? And a, a big part for me and talking about Brad, you know, is how long did I honor Brad and what he had done for the eight years leading up to me? but not being crippled by that feeling of, well, it was always this, this is what people love, this, whatever. So how do you honor the past? Well, he inherited what was created prior to him. Exactly. So, and, 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 you know, to Brad's credit, he, he really grew, grew grew like crazy. Yeah. Uh, But he and I are very different leaders Mm -hmm. and who's better. uh, I mean, you know, he's a better horseback rider. That's true. Cause I've never ridden a horse. So he wins that one. <laughs> you know, that's what I love, man, is he and I are different. Yeah. That's, that's it. And I feel like he was the better leader for that season and I'm the better leader for this season. I think that's how God does that. So what, uh, I, I know I, just, you can't answer that. Cause then you can't. no, I, you're, you're, that's the right answer. <laughs> it is the right answer. I mean, what Brad's doing now, is He's different and significant, and 
you know, you can see God's hand yep. in the season, the seasonal changes. Yep. I mean, I went to Catalyst, I mean, back starting in 2001, right. probably. Um, Relevant was there for years and years. Right. And, you know, honestly, there was like, a, I think the big challenge for events like Catalyst is has been there, done that. It is. You know, it's like, oh, we love it. It's great. And I've never met anybody that doesn't believe in it or want it to right. be successful. They right. just don't come anymore. They just don't come. Right. And how do you fight that? Like, what do you do? Uh, and, and that's where I felt like the big stunts felt desperate. Yeah. yeah. It's like, oh, but this year you don't want to miss this crazy right. thing. Right. And it's just kind of like, no, that's not why I'm I, going. I, I think the the um, the alternative, the, the solution to that is substance. Right. I think if you create something that people go, it moved me. Yeah. I won't miss that. Right. Th- that makes more sense to me than, wow, that was fun. Right. Because you can have different types of fun. Yeah. Spend fun money different ways. Yeah. Because I remember, Cameron, we sat at Marlowe's the first time I met you. And you'd come to Catalyst. And I think you just, uh, Jenny Allen had invited you to come up. Yeah. And you just, we sat for about. Like, it had probably been three or four it'd years. It had been a few years. hadn't been there. Right. And I remember you just stopped me and you were just like, this feels different. It, I know. it, it did. It, it's different. It still does, I, too. Yeah. It, it's like, it feels like, it's interesting hearing you talking about the intentionality of how you're prayerfully programming it now. Right. Um, it doesn't feel commercial anymore. Right. Um, and I realize it's a massive business and there's a lot of money flowing around, but it doesn't, you don't feel it. Right. And it really does feel like a ministry emphasis and it moves me yeah. when I go. I mean, it's powerful. Man. That's been the heartbeat is to, is to make it a, a ministry. That's why we've been trying to get in this nonprofit model for yeah, so long. Yeah, talk about that. Like the commercialization <laughs> of ministry is, is a massive tension. And yeah. I would say nobody inherited more of a commercial <laughs> ministry thing than you. <laughs> That's true. And I'm saying that as a for-profit media company totally, totally. doing Christian content, yeah. I'm, you know, unequivocally, I want to run a successful business, right. but I want to have a massive impact for the kingdom. Yeah. And if you can toe that line, yeah. great. A lot of times the pendulum swings too far one yeah. way or the other, you know. I always struggle with it. When I first started, I asked Brad, I said, why are we not, why are we for-profit? Right. What was the answer? He didn't know. Because he inherited Right. Because at that time, we had 35 owners when he and I were there together. I remember that transition. (laughs) It was terrible. Because it was started by the Maxwell. John Maxwell started 19 years ago. And so what I realized is it was just a part of Enjoy. It was a a product. Yeah. It wasn't a thing. I I first encountered them, maybe it was 2000. Um, It was when Gabe Lyons and all of them were still on staff. Yeah. Um, and they were still in the Maxwell building yeah. and the Maxwell books were everywhere. And then Catalyst was like the next gen, which was the whole goal is 40 and for, you know, that massive traditional leadership organization. Right. And then it broke off. Yep. And so that's why I think it was for profit because it was just a product at the time. And then right. it kind of grew in its own and it was under a for profit wing. And as you, I mean, you just eloquently said, I don't think for profit's bad at all. I mean, as a matter of fact, I love it. Like, it's great. For-profit brings a motive. It attaches a motive, regardless, which is we got to be profitable. Like, Well, the thing that I think for-profit does in a good way is you have to be excellent. And the thing you're creating... If not, you're done. You're right. The, the consumers you're trying to serve, yep. like, if you're not excellent and providing value to them, yep. they will not transact with you. Yep. In the nonprofit world, you can be... Oh, 
crap. Right. As long as one benefactor right. wants you to exist. Which is 100% not our goal. Right. The reason I fought so hard for the nonprofit space is twofold. Number one, 90% of our attendants would, attendees would think we're nonprofit. When they find out it's for profit, it's not wrong, but there was always this like, oh, you know, like, that's interesting. Not because it's a bad thing, but because they just assume something else. That was not the main reason. The main reason for me was we had 35 owners. I want our highest metric was revenue. And it should be in a for profit. Like, that's what you're fighting for. They love the mission as long as it made money. Again, which it should be in the model. What we're trying to create is a nonprofit model, and there's a whole lot more backstory to this. So that's, you know, that's the high. My heartbeat was, let, can impact be the highest measurement? Now, revenue has to be really close to that. It cannot, like, <laughs> we can't go impact and then well, I think the a little bit of revenue. The difference of what, like, what we face and what you inherited was, or, you know, the 35 owners, was those are investors. Shareholders. To make profit. 100%. Whereas, like a visionary Which is not founder, wrong, and that's you know, is correct. is more holistically minded and wants impact more yeah. than. So, and when you think about a church ministry, I mean, a church is is built yes on giving and those sorts of things, but the, the church is built to serve. It is built to impact the community. Mm-hmm. Most for profit businesses, that's not necessarily how they think. They're not thinking let's let's impact as many and and as deeply as we can. For me, what I wanted to do was, what, what would it look like? I mean, an example is we would had 40 countries ask us to come to Catalyst internationally. But our for-profit model and the money we had to make to make this whole engine work, we can't do that in Kenya and charge $199. But we could go to Kenya and underwrite some of it, you know, and charge $10. Because that could be a really valuable thing. Now, I'm not saying we're doing that. But I, it just was my wheels were spinning of... Let's see if there's a way to get this. In. And now the trick to moving for-profit to non-profit is you've got ownership and equity. So who wants to give up a, 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 an, an engine that brings in significant amount of revenue? Um, so we just I started praying about that about four years ago. And, uh, and there's been, I don't think I would have ex- expected it to play out the way it has. But as we sit here, we are, we're, we're really now set up to be a board-run ministry and what I say that is we don't have to go raise money to operate. That's not the goal. What it does is it protects the profit to go back to the mission. That was the heartbeat. So before, because it was an investment, Correct. if there was margin, the, it's gone. The, it, it was yes. taken back to the investors, Correct. which is how or the other run. The other parts or of the other businesses. businesses, right? Yes. And so now the money stays within the organization. Correct. And you guys don't have to. We don't have sub- to subsidize. No, we won't have to at all. Like, because um, we've always been of revenue. Like that's what's unique about being a nonprofit model with a revenue engine. You know, because a lot of them don't have that. A lot of the reasons that a lot are of you going to start taking up an offering at Catalyst? <laughs> oh, I, or a few. Um, one for relevant. And well, then, I'll take that. <laughs> see you. You seem open to it. But even back to that commercialization thing, I remember one year as a producer, I went up to um, to the leadership team and I said, "Hey, you guys are paying me to be here, but if you ask me for one other thing, I, I don't know that I'm going to sit around. This is like Friday at lunch." But it's because it had just. I think there were seven asks at that point, and every one of them were like these deep spiritual moments of, you know, give to compassion, do this, that, that, and the other. Well, I just for me. And, and it goes back to, like, I really am praying over the next 10 years that we could create a whole new model, even for sponsorships, for that matter. What if now that we're a nonprofit, 
what if we could figure out a way to cast vision to enough um, investor type folks, people that give to these type of organizations to where we could go pick five major sponsors, Compassion, Convoy of Hope, some of these people we work with, and instead of them paying us to be there, we've raised the money and now we can stand in front of people and go, hey, we've picked four or five organizations that we're all in on. As a matter of fact, they didn't pay a dime to be here. We want we raise the money so that we can give that to them and support. Like, what if we were instead of being the catalyst, we were a catalyst for change. We were a catalyst to connect the right organizations. We, you know what I mean? Like that's that's a little bit more of what I'm trying to do is create a true. And we, we're going to gather together and be inspired. We're going to do those things. But there's so much more that can happen. How, how much? How much could y'all? I mean, because like you hear about like passion in a day raises eight million dollars for right. A twenty one, right? Or whatever. Like, how much are you thinking could be raised? I think ours is a totally different model. Okay, it's not going to be an offering at an event. Ours is working with businessmen and women, family foundations. What well, my prayer is that God would help us endow it so that we don't even have to worry. Like, what what if somebody wrote us a ten million dollar check and allowed us to create new events? What if what if we could come to cities? I, I keep having this picture of what if we came to ten major cities? Pick those. And instead of anybody paying for anything or, you know, like we've got enough money because it's been given, it's been donated, whatever that looks like, or we make it in our current events and um, to go to 10 major cities two or three times a year, gather, uh, you know, young leaders and just invest in them. Literally just, you know, I mean, I know Atlanta does creative mornings and there's, there, there's different things in different cities. Oh, that kind of a model. I guess so yeah, not like a conference. No, not like a conference, a hundred people. Yeah. But we're going to get together for a half a day or an evening, and we're going to talk about issues. We're going to talk about what's going on in the church. We're going to talk about leadership. What does that look like? Well, if I could underwrite all that, are you kidding me? How awesome would that be able to build these little communities of catalyst leaders, you know, these young leaders who are, who are bought into to doing life a little different, to, to serving people in a different way? Um, so I'm just, those are the kind of things. But being able to underwrite projects, versus having to go create a for-profit, a model that creates revenue consistently. The good thing is our big events, if we do them right and we're able to get the people we need to and market it right and do the stuff, they're by far going to pay, bring, up, bring in enough revenue to do all the things we want to do. We've just been, been in a unique ownership situation for a while now. We're just, we had to, we've had to scrap out of that a little bit. But I'm pretty excited about the ability to be able to change, change the model. And I think, cause a lot of people still watch us in the conference space and they're going, wow, they figured if they figured out a new way to do sponsorship model, people would follow suit and it could really help the commercial commercialization of that. In some How ways. do you feel about, I mean, it's gotta be hard that you inherited a, a model an event business on the downswing of the beat. <laughs> and I've gone the last four or five years, and every year is phenomenal. And I look around, and I see yeah. fewer and fewer people there. Right. How, I mean, is that discouraging? Uh, in some ways, but some of that's on us. Some of that, uh, we're, we, we literally in the last few weeks have just decided to do a complete marketing reset. Um, do you know why the numbers are down? Do you have like uh, feedback? of like- So over the last five years, six years, it depends on where you're. West Coast is not that way. Right. West Coast has stayed sold out for the last three or four but years. As a matter of fact, we've turned it. Yes. But we've turned it back to sold out. It was not for a right. little while. Right. Atlanta is its own uh, animal because we started when, when Atlanta was at 11, 12,000 people in the round full. Right. We were, that was it. 
That was the only event we did in a year. Yeah, now there's orange and there's... Well, not that, but even yeah, Catalyst. Catalyst. We yeah. cannibalized ourselves. Yeah, we yeah. did five one days a year. We would go... So people are going, wait, I can pay 100 bucks to come to the one in my city right. for a one-day event. Get Andy and Craig. Yeah. Or I have to drive down and more two nights of hotel. Andy. Right. Two nights of hotel. You know, bring my team. It's more expensive. I think that was one hurdle we had to jump through. I think the other big thing, Cameron, is exactly what you described, which was I think people got confused going, what, who's it for? What is it? Like, I'm kind of over the lines and the whatever. What I, one of the things I noticed really early on was we always said, and you, you alluded to this, we always said we were for the next generation. But there was real no, there wasn't really a great plan in place to make sure that funnel stays full. And it's tough for the next generation to pay 200 bucks to go to a two-day. Fact. Event. And again, it goes back to another reason of going, is there a way to offset some of this and bring more leaders? We, we started doing $99 for college students, you know, for students. How can we do a, maybe I would have loved to do more than that, but we're just having to figure that out with the model. Um, one of the, so the way I described it is when, when uh, my kids are, you know, your kid uh, is in elementary school as well. The elementary school is not thinking when fifth graders graduate, where, where are we going to get the net? Like, there's just a funnel in place because kids get, I mean, kids are born, whatever. Your kindergarten class is coming. Mm-hmm. One of the struggles I think we've had is we continue to graduate, quote unquote, catalyst leaders. They're age-wise. They move out of that 25 to 40-year-old kind of age bracket that we try to program through and, and focus on. They move out, but we haven't had a system in place that brings the next group of 25-year-olds. So next year with the 20-year anniversary, um, we're really just, one, we're trying to pray through, Lord, what, how do we throw an anchor in the next 20 years so that we can continue? Because, you know, 20 years is kind of loosely described as a generation. So I kind of feel like we've raised a, a group of leaders for 20 years. What we want to do is start telling anybody, if you're over the age of 40 and you come to Catalyst, we want you to bring two people and pay for them that are 25 to 35. So you're assuming this person over 40 has an extra $400. Yeah, I mean, if they don't, like, we got to figure that out. But yeah. the point is an intentionality around. And then what would it look like if we created some content that helps them for the next 12 months disciple those, you know, like some sort of mentoring, discipleship, just investment. I don't care what you call, call it, whatever you want to call it. But I want to get intentional about the next generation handing it off appropriately. The next, you know, the, the leaders a season ahead going, I want to make sure I'm always investing. And I think one of the things like who's we your can, Timothy sort of thing. Right. I think I mean, Bob we can Goff, leverage that. Bob Goff said, you know, fives need to invest in threes. So fifties invest in thirties, fours need to invest in twos, you know, and right. th- threes need to invest in teens. Yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. uh, you, everybody has somebody that they should be, you know, leading and mentoring and something. So yeah, it is hard. I mean, you know, if, if your subscriptions goes down for a season, it feels weird. I think the reason that for me, I mean, there are definitely, there's been so many other extracurricular things that are discouraging that we've had to walk through. And so I've been able to go with all that going on and we still have these numbers in a good way. I see it in, in, a, in a little bit of a different light. So for us, those subscription numbers go down because technology changes, media yeah. consumption habits change, and millennials are transient, yep. and they don't want paper mailed to a permanent address. And we could say, we're a magazine publisher and just dig our heels in yeah. and die. Or we could just go, no, we want to create content that impacts you, and I don't care how or what device or sure. what way you want to engage us on. And, and we have to step back and go, well, why are we publishing content printed on paper and mailing it? That is literally the most inefficient way that I could communicate with you. 
we're still doing it. Right. But it is the smallest thing we do. Yeah. You know, it was like back in 2012, I had to like rethink, no, we're not right. a magazine publisher. We're, we, what, what would we, we were reaching 750,000 people a month. If you had it up all of our platforms right. back then, what would we be doing to reach 10 million a month that we're not doing now? Right. What Cause I'm more impact minded. Right. And, and so we had to completely, and, and you overhauled and, the thing. And every three years, it yeah. used to be every five years, yeah. we'd have to basically shut down our business and start a different one. Right. And now it's like speeding up and it's more like every two or three years. We're in the middle of this again. Yeah, I can see that. And so it's like, we, we can't like, you're, you're, we are catalyst and come to a big room and be together. But like, what if taste change, budget change, and people don't want to do that? What does an event company do? Or is it that you're a leadership development company and that there's other things you guys yeah, I mean, that's, is, that, is that the yes. questions you're asking? And that's the tension we constantly wrestle with. And honestly, in 20, uh, next year, we're scaling back and just going to do East and West right now. No one day. Nope. For that very reason. Are you guys going to get into other resources and stuff? We already do. I mean, we, you know, we've had a, a podcast for years. Yeah. We've never been able to put money in it or really. Yeah. Brad had me on it once back in like 2007. Yeah. <laughs> that's about it. <laughs> well, very, maybe we should remedy that. Cameron. I was one of like three people with Ken in. Coleman and like in that little no, office space. No, 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 it was just Brad. Oh, Skype. was this at the event? No, it was, I was in my office. Okay. Just Skype me in or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Well, a we're long time ago. like we do. And that's, um, you know, we, we, we try to create content consistently or aggregate as well. I mean, yeah, that's a big part curator. of it. Yeah. So we're, we're doing that. But I honestly, I think the times that I've seen catalyst struggle over the last six, seven, eight years being involved is when we've gotten a little bit, our, our hands in too many cookie jars. Oh, we should do this. We should do this. We should do this. We should do this. We're, you know, we should create a, a CD project. We should create this, that, and the other. We should do a publishing imprint. We should do. Right. And, and for me, where we've been at our best is when we were focused on the couple things we're best at. And right now, it's, we, we're really good at events. That's, that's always been a sweet spot of ours. What well, does it look like in five years and 10 years? I don't know. I really don't. I think uh, what we're trying to do right now. You don't have like a five-year like <laughs> gut dream that freaks you out? Uh, a little bit. It's a little bit of what I was talking about of creating these smaller gatherings that are consistent, that are really Building going community. deep with people, yeah. with community. Um, I think that's how we're going to grow Catalyst again and get people, the next Best generation, to yeah. know about it. Um, when I first got here, Brad had done an amazing job of creating, especially West Coast, because what they did, they were really smart about creating the West Coast event is LV, and they took this van around the country. I don't know if you remember the van again. Mm-hmm. But they they created a community out there that was ready to be a core group for that. For it wasn't We weren't bringing the, the Atlanta event on the road. So you're, you know you're just doing a church model of small groups, being the real church, and then let's get together. Let's on get Sunday together and, and gather. Yeah, that's what you do. Like you know, um, you gather people, and then hopefully once or twice Wait, a year you get everybody together. Wait, are you the pastor of Calista? <laughs> well, that's how we were going. Wait for. a second, you're nonprofit. You're doing small groups. You're gonna. <laughs> <laughs> if people want to start giving, then yes, I'll be the I pastor. Mean, passion launched a church. That's wait a, a second. Wait once. Wait. I think one, I know your five year plan. One hot minute. Um, I don't think that's the five year plan. But I do think a huge part of that for us is a refocus on how do we really go deep with millennial, with Gen Z, and make sure that they get they get an understanding of why stewarding their influence or leadership matters. For me, it's all about the fact. It all comes back to the simple thing that I, for how we lead affects people's faith. It just does. If I can, I mean, I know guys that can preach the lights off the wall, 
I don't even think that makes sense. The, nope. the lights off the ceiling or the paint off the wall? Painful. I think is what you're That's going what I was for. going for. Lights out. Lights out. They, they can preach lights out. <laughs> Which your magic's going to be tonight. I feel like it. Against the new look 76ers with Jimmy Butler, I do not have hopes that we're <laughs> yeah. going to be the better team. It's going to be interesting. But I know guys that, that can preach you know, the paint off the wall. But who they are Monday through Friday doesn't represent that same person. And mm-hmm. for me, how we lead as faith leaders, it is so critical. And if if young leaders can get a hold of that and recognize that what they say on, you know, what what their Sunday experience looks like, if it's not integrated in their lives, I think one of the things, Cameron, I've always not I don't think not I think, but one of the things I've always appreciated about you is your conviction to what you're called to do, but more than that is how your faith has become, it's integrated in your day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. Just is. That's not the case with most leaders. A lot of leaders, man, it's just like, here's what, you know, like, I can do this and I can do this, but it, it's like the Holy Spirit and integration doesn't necessarily play in, in when I'm having a conversation with my kids or when I'm integrating or talking to my staff. Dude, when, I'm, when I'm spiritually healthy, it changes it's, everything. it's weird that, oh, wow, the business is healthy. And it when I'm seriously not healthy, yes. oh, all of a sudden things are really hard and the culture here is struggling. But and- you know this, I don't know any, I don't know anybody and, you know, I'm sure there are, but I don't know anybody that's walked away from Jesus because of Jesus. Well, but I know a lot of people who have lost faith because of those of us that represent Jesus. That's why this matters to me. Because how we lead affects people's faith. And if you can, at 25 years old, get a grasp of that, it would just be such a catalyst for an incredible career, a credible calling, an incredible life. That's why it matters to me. And it matters to me because the 40-year-olds and the 50-year-olds also, same thing. We've got to be healthy. We've got to be whole leaders who understand the weight of our influence. That's a big deal. And especially because we represent something bigger than ourselves. And I'm not saying that those that don't have faith in Jesus don't have a representation. But that's, that is a part of the calling of following under being a follower of Jesus is we are representing something more than just our name and ourselves. We are representing a kingdom and Jesus, and that's a big deal. And I, I think so many of us can talk about it, and so many of us can talk about it on Sunday specifically, and then on Monday it looks very different. We've got these multiple personalities, and faith is just different in those different. I, I mean, I know a ton of people, their work personality is very different than the rest of their life. I'm not saying that's a bad thing because you get work mode, you it do sounds this. Sounds like you are saying that's a bad thing. What I'm saying is, what I want to, the camera that's in this office is the camera I know that comes and hangs out at our event mm-hmm. is the camera I'm going to go to the game with. Yeah. You do different things in all those venues, but integrity is consistency. I want to know what I can expect. Hmm. And so that's, that's why all this matters to me. It's, it, it, I don't know how long I'll do it. I love it though. Do you think you're a, a, I mean, you know the gut answer to this. Is this <laughs> is this you were called to come in to transition it and to set a new course and then hand it off? Or are you the launcher of a new era that you're gonna see it through? I like think, a BCAD thing. Are you the AD leader I'm visionary, not a starter in general. An entrepreneur? Well, you are because you just started it as a nonprofit. I mean, so is it a thing of I'm, like you're I'm the change agent a, and you're yes, walking? That's more of my speed. No, 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 no. Like, I've asked the Lord to release me, I can't tell you how many times this summer, because of other stuff yeah, that's yeah. been going on. Yeah. But I didn't want to be, like, yeah. 
I do want to see it. Be, be, I want to see it. You just said on tape that you've asked Lord to release you because of other things going on. Are you primarily referring to like how difficult uh, it was with the I just had a transition? Difficult, yes, I had yeah. a difficult week. I just want to be clear yeah, yeah, that yeah. it wasn't like my major porn addiction. No, no, no. You know, no, no. That kind of no moral failures. No, nothing okay, like that. Okay, We've okay. had a transition in ownership that's been really Very hard. difficult. Very yeah. difficult. I just I knew that. Yes. I just want to make sure people didn't that's misconstrue good. what that's you good. said. <laughs> and it just it there's just been times that I, it was too much it's for too me much, to handle. Yeah. It's not why you signed up for this. Correct. If I didn't believe that I wanted to be a part of this for a long time, I wouldn't have stayed. But I mean, there's but there the are people, is, there are I'm, leaders who are called and gifted at and that very well turning could be, something around. That very well could be the case, and then and, handing it off. Yeah, and so it could be. Uh, I'm very open-handed with it. I'm like, Lord, if you call me in a year to hand it over to this, well, group you do have a nice new website. You're getting a lot of speaking <laughs> engagements. You're got a new book deal. You're setting yourself yeah, up. All man. those things. There you go. Um, I do. I mean, that's fine if that's what God right. calls me to do next. Um, I like having a home base, though. Yeah. I'm an investor. I, I like. Taking people, I mean, Cameron. The truth is, we've had to we've had a lot of significant amount of staff go this year. We've had to do, we've helped find every one of them, with the exception of one right now, a new job. And I can actually say publicly that I know you were doing this because you hit me up about one of yours, right? Like, and, is there some literally? They've all found could help jobs that are better there, and that's and that's awesome. brutal because these are my friends. But Why were y'all letting people go? Is it just to to turn the organization? We're just resetting and the some stuff. Yeah, yeah, I mean. There's just some overhead and different things yeah. when you look at going, if we're going to scale back and just yeah. do two events next year, right. you, don't need this, you don't need as many people as we had when you're doing 10 events. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and going through this transition, we want to just get as nimble and flexible as we can yeah, smart. into a new you business. You don't have offices. Into a, no, we're, Is that long-term? Is that going to I, be long-term? I think we'll be a little bit of a hybrid because we have a church that we gather at once or twice a week as a staff, just get together so we can see each other. And then we work remote the rest of the time. Is that working? Yeah, so far. Um, How do you create culture so via email? Well, we created it before, so that's why. But, but, but I, I'm the same way. We, I'm here, right? right? I want everybody here to collaborate. We have uh, two or three people that work in other states. Right. And I would not hire somebody in another New. state, but they were here in core and here for yeah, years. The DNA is there. And then they went on yeah. and it's like, no, we need to stay connected and yeah. working together. Well, and that's, that's what I was trying to, my point was that this, this team, they wouldn't have stayed if we hadn't invested in them. That we, They wouldn't have stayed if we hadn't created culture. They wouldn't have stayed because it's been too hard. There's just been too many hard things in this transition mm-hmm. that young leaders like, They'd find something else if they didn't believe in me, if they didn't believe in our team, if they didn't believe in the mission, what we're trying to do. And um, so that that that's why it very well could be that God's using me to keep it together, transition it into a nonprofit, into a new ministry type direction. And in a year, I go do something else. I Here's the reason it doesn't bother me either way, is this thing doesn't define me. It doesn't. When I was at North Point, when I left, I'd been there about a decade, and this guy comes up to me. He knew I was leaving. He's an older guy. He came from business world into North Point, and he said, he said, Tyler, do you know what you're doing? And I was like, what are, you, what are you talking about? And he said, why would you leave this place? He's like, this is like the utopia of workplaces. And I said, well, it's not to me because this place doesn't define me. I'm Tyler. And wherever I'm at, that vocation, whatever that title is, that's not a def- definition for me. The only thing I ever want, Cameron, on my tombstone is father, husband, and friend. That's it. I don't want author. I don't want catalyst. I don't want president. I don't want any of that. I just want to be a good dad, a great husband, and a great friend. 
Because to me, the vocation is a piece of that equation, the title of that. But I would rather be known as your friend than the guy that runs Catalyst. Mm -hmm. That matters more to me. And I think, so that's why I don't, I hold it very loosely. And I'm like, if, if, if I'm done at the end of this year, okay, I'll hand it. But I want, what I don't want to do is hand it when it's not ready. Do you think that you view it like that because you didn't start it? You're stewarding it for now. Like it's easier for you. The than founder. Like, yeah, I don't like, have that founder piece. Yeah, that the founding pastor. I would pray. I can see why that's harder. I mean, like relevant. If you were to hand it off. Oh, over the years, I would have gladly many, many times. But this is. I mean, you. Pr- but prayerfully, I did. I mean, I, right. I mean, I was willing to. There were offers. Yeah. It was just one of those things that I mean, it was like. Abraham and Isaac. It was like the Lord just stopped me right. in my tracks. But like, you're, you're not d- yet. It, this is your DNA. This place was built off of the way that you, the way you're wired, right. the way you think, and those sorts of things. Um, and Catalyst wasn't. It is more now. Yeah. Because I mean, it, it it just takes on the personality of the people leading it. It's just what it does. What I also know though is like, and even back to the equation or the question about speaking and being on stage, and I don't do it. I don't get up there. Because I'm like, hey, guys, put me here, put me here, put me here. I don't book myself at all for our two-day experience. The team, I give it to them. And they, I go, whatever you think is best because they know how little I want to be on the stage in terms of just to be seen. I want it to be strategic moments of vision and pastoring. That's it. That's what, When I go up there, that's what I should do. Where are we going? And then, and then care for the people that are in the room for a minute. One of the most consistent compliments we've gotten over the last really four years is it seems so intentional and we feel pastored or loved. I had a friend who hadn't come in years and he came two years ago and he said for two days, cause he hadn't come because he was just frustrated with the last time he left. He's like, I, I felt like you were taking from us. Mm-hmm. He said, I, for two days sat and I felt like for two days you guys poured into me. Yeah. And it does feel like that. Well, that, that's what, that matters to me. That's why we're doing it. I want life to flow into those leaders, not be taking from them for two days. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, I, but I, I do, I know, I think one of the most difficult things, that's why I'm, I'm going to do a bunch of case studies in this new book of people that have taken over somebody else's platform or. It's such an interesting. You know, whatever. And, that, and that's the majority. I mean, this is it's, a it's very entrepreneurial generation. Everybody's a maker. Everybody's starting things. But the reality is, is most of those will come and go. Right. And eventually, as you progress in your career, you're going to be part of something bigger than yourself. No question. Instead of running the thing you started. When well, you they say 20. in 2020, it's 40% of the economy is going to be the gig economy. So so 40% of the, the, the population will be freelancers or contractors that have three or four organizations they work with. If you don't figure out how to lead into a new organization where you got to learn the culture, you got to learn, I mean, it's a big deal that you understand. It's not your influence. You're inheriting something else that somebody else created. How do you do that well? Mm-hmm. The other huge thing that we're watching is these massive churches that are they're the lead pastor, the founding pastor, the whatever, they're retiring. And they've got to transition well, and they're not. So what, what can we do? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm just talking churches in general. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm going to, I want to interview like Judah, like his dad passed away, but he was about to hand it to him. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, people throughout, you know, that have taken over for moral failure that have taken over, uh, Buzz Williams is a friend of mine. He's the head coach at Virginia tech basketball. Well, he, you know, I want to interview him. Like you took over a team that wasn't yours. You didn't recruit a single one of those players. You didn't do that. 
What did you learn as you did that? I heard Dan Mullen say when he came to Florida, he said, those players did not sign up for me. Mm-hmm. I signed up for them. Now I have to go get them on my team. Well, that's a healthy way to view that. Not, it's my team now. If you want to play, this is how, you know, like it's just a, you got to go in. It's different than when you start something. The coaching thing is interesting. I mean, Aaron Gordon on the Magic has had, in his four years, four different head coaches. It's crazy. That's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah, that's a little problem. problem <laughs> that could be a little there. bit of a struggle. <laughs> but I, 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 do, I do think it's much harder when you're the founder. I've, I've watched organizations. I've been on boards for organizations where the founder, how do you do this well? Yeah, how do you? I mean, I, I'm trying to, as you're talking, I'm literally trying to think of like major ministries that have uh, handed it generationally, From a to something else. you know, to the next generation. I mean, even I think your, your own Andy Stanley. I mean, he didn't inherit his dad's church. No, he started a new one. Right, he started his new one. Yeah. And then, like, I'm 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 really trying to think of transition. And I mean, not to, I mean, my own my family started a big Christian publishing company. Right. My dad's the founder. They're in their mid sixties. I'm not going to take over right. their thing. I right. started my own thing. Right. You know, and it's like. I didn't know until a few years ago that that was always in the back of their mind that they assumed that I would <laughs> take over their thing. Yeah. And finally, like they realized I wasn't. And then we had a very difficult conversation. Right. And I well, had no clue. I think that's a, that's, a, that's a huge key to this, though, is communication on the front end. Because had you been brought into the conversation earlier, had you been talked through and you were consulted on it, I have a really good friend who was second in line at this big church teaching pastor, campus pastor, you know, like doing these things. And I think it was just a, it was common knowledge that he would be the, the next guy, right? Except for him. Nobody had talked to him about it. Mm-hmm. There was no real conversation about, hey, we'd really like to put you in. All of a sudden, he gets called away to a new church. Is that Darren Whitehead? No. Oh. Um, <laughs> the church. You say got, all these vague stories. I'm like, who's he talking about? <laughs> the church he went to is in Nashville, but he. Um, it is Darren When he left, when he went to the senior leadership team and said, hey, guys, I'm taking this other job. They were blindsided. They were completely blindsided. And they looked at him and were like, whoa, 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 whoa. We have a plan for you. And they didn't tell him. They never told him the plan. I mean, when I had the conversation with my dad, it was incredibly difficult because it was my dad. Right. But um, I said to him, I'm not like I'm not the guy. because, And I had to tell for over three hours over fish tacos, (laughs) tell my dad that like, listen, I mean, in media and church, you're you're only as good as your next article. Right. You're only as good as your next issue. And the I'm not inherently like you need to find somebody who will continue the vision that you have created because I see the world very differently. I, I, I don't fit that mold. The next issue, the, the issue I would hypothetically put out would alienate all of your readers. Right. But because the brand is defined by what it is now, right. no new readers would come. Yeah. I, 93% of the books you publish, I wouldn't. Uh, I, I would m- sell the office building from the suburbs right. and move downtown. I would let four-fifths of the staff go and yeah. hire new blood. What would I, I would dismantle. I would destroy your life's right. work. Right. I'm not the shepherd of right. it. Like, it's just a different vision, a different and that's, direction. that's the thing. It's not that either one's wrong. No. It's just different. There's a need for what they 100%. do. There's a need for what I'm and doing, the and they don't go together. Correct. And then even when we talked about Brad's leadership for eight years and my leadership for the last five. That yours is a lot better. It's that's just, what we determined, right? <laughs> it's just different. We're called for different seasons to yeah. do different things. and but that's So you're part- saying Brad is like my dad? Yeah. <laughs> <I'm kidding. laughs> Shoot. Okay. 
<laughs> no, not in any way. But you know what I mean? I mean, it's yeah. just that's that's the reality of these things. And I think you had wisdom in that of recognizing, you know what? I don't want to do that to my dad. No, I don't. I would feel terrible. Right. And it was just cleaner to do this. And it, it gave you the freedom, too, though, that you weren't having to go through layers of years of experience in a certain model and a certain. But, you know, I mean, again, Andy, and this is what we're walking through right now. Andy Stanley has always said this. You fall in love with the mission. You date the model. Dating a model sounds great. <laughs> That's a good plan. That's truth. <laughs> is, but, I, you know, I've been in buildings recently with um, older models of ministry and church or whatever. And I'm just like, and they're dying because they, they, they fell in love with a model, mm. not a mission. And that's what we're trying to do is make sure what well, God, what are the new wine skins? Cause we keep putting new wine, but if it's the wrong model, like, I mean, Cameron, I'm very open. If God were to say, Hey, the big events are gone. Like we're going to do a whole new thing. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Great. I don't care. Yeah. What I care about is that we impact the next generation in some way, the emerging generation and just leaders in general of the church, I, I think. So, so let me get this straight. Because, I mean, this is how we've operated or tried to operate. Sometimes the Lord has to, like, kind of, you know, shake the baby to get my attention. Right. But like, you know, so you're saying, marry the mission, date the model. So you're telling me to date models. Yes. That's what you need to know. Okay. I just want to be clear yeah, as, as this is transcribed. As we spend this Reagan entire time, said, what your key is. <laughs> Is dating a model. <laughs> okay. Number one okay. from this conversation. Marry the you mission. should date a model. <laughs> but that's a it's a helpful, it's a helpful yeah, practical that tool is good. That's that good. says, and it helps you avoid mission drift, which go and it's what you've been doing, which yeah. is going every three years, guys. You gotta blow it up. We gotta lay and the way you describe it is blowing up. You know, it's like, but but what you're describing is a fundamental model yeah. that has worked for a season right. that might not work anymore. Right. Are we willing? And it's what Dude, Henry, if, if anybody wants to know what to do with this, you read Henry Cloud's Necessary Endings book. He talks about pruning. And the hardest thing about pruning is not pruning away the dead things. It's pruning away the good things. Good things have emotion connected to them. Good things are, they were good. They worked. They might have been best for a season, but right now they're good. The problem when you have good things and not best things is they're taking nutrients from the best things. And that's why it's so critical not just cut away the dead things when you're doing like a rose bush or whatever. You have to cut away many of the good, you know, branches so that the best branches are getting all the nutrients and all the sort. That's what, that's what looking at the model consistently is going. Is it really worth a, a you know, a magazine, a physical magazine? Is that what resource draft? Like, is it doing everything we want to do? If it is, great. Right. But we have to. But we have, have to, ask, to be willing honest, to ask the question. Yeah, and I mean, but even aside from running an organization, I mean, I mean, pastors should be doing this continually. Correct. What ministries are thriving? What models are yeah. old and people aren't connecting with anymore? Who is it? Missionally, who is it we're trying to reach? And is what we're doing reaching them effectively? Because right. do, do we know? Do we know the heartbeat and the pulse right. of? the pipeline of the new people or yeah. are we missing them because yeah. we're married to old methods? And I'll be honest, because you asked me the question, the five year, I, I don't know the answer yet. What the next generation really like we're, we're, as we're putting our board together and some of these other things, we're intentionally putting, you know, 28 year olds on that. Cause I want to hear what they think. Cause I, I'm not in that group anymore. Andy Stanley said it at catalyst this year. He said the next generation church is not going to be created by our generation. It's going to be created and led by the next generation. Like, 
we're fools to think that we're going to be the ones to create that. So that's why we've got to get in the minds and the hearts of that group, our target audience, what that looks like. So I don't have a great answer for that. But I also know that I'm determined to figure out what it is and, and who to go figure it out. You know, I got to go find who those people are. Um, but I can't be a bunch of me and you and Brad sitting around. Especially not Brad. <laughs> we're not that group, you know? <laughs> we're not that group. So, um, but yeah, man, I, I'm excited about the things to come in, in both parties. You know, I, I, I love watching. I, I think social media drives me crazy a lot of times, but I love being able to keep up with what's going on in people's worlds. And, and the way I know every time, you know, every month when it's time to <laughs> get the issue out or every two, you know, every two months. Whenever I'm excited about the issue, I'll post about it. If there's kind of a dud. Well, the all-nighter, that's, that's my favorite Insta yeah. stories. When Cameron's all-nighter oh, starts showing up. You see me slowly drift in delirium. Yeah. I start at 11, I'm all bright-eyed and perky. And then right. by around 4.30 in the morning, I'm like, <laughs> <Murr. my> <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, thanks for doing this. Yeah. I, congratulations on the new book. Um, next time you send a box full of moss, send a little brush, a little, like, think about a little broom and dustpan or something. Or we create it and we, we like uh, spray paint it with adhesive so it all stays That's good. together. Or, and then just pack it full of those like packing peanuts. That would be good. Um, I bet next time it'll be an envelope with the book. <laughs> it's going to be an envelope full of confetti and no, It'll just be the book with a note that says, hey, here you go. I, I can guarantee yours will be. That's for sure. I like it. Well, thanks for joining me, man. Yep. This is great. Thanks. Hey, if you like this episode of Unedited, I'd love your help spreading word about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing it on iTunes helps a ton, as well as sharing it on social media. We have an incredible lineup of guests coming this season. You don't want to miss out. Well, I'm Cameron Strang. Thank you for listening. I promise I won't delete this episode after we post it. I'll see you next time. Relevant Podcast Network.